Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I appreciate you being with me today. My guest is Lindsay Lerner. She is indeed a smart person. She is also a founder and business development expert. She's got a passion for community building and social entrepreneurship. She founded her first company while still in college and is now a veteran of the startup world. Often called a human Swiss army knife by friends and colleagues, Lindsay excels at developing partnerships, brand alliances, and collaborative efforts. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Oh, you bet. So let's start with this. Let's start with your backstory. Kind of how did you get to where you are today? You want to talk about, you know, what were you doing in college trying to start a business at that point? <laughs> I definitely wasn't trying to start a business. So <laughs> we could start there. I started out uh, from the time I was a young age, always thought that I wanted to be a photographer. Always had a camera in my hand since I was, you know, literally probably younger than six years old okay. and went through went through all the ropes of that. I interned at local newspapers. I worked at portrait studios. I did school pictures, weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs, anything, you name it, I've shot it. And then at the same time, balancing always being super, super nerdy and always being somewhat of an overachiever in terms of striving for straight A's, both uh, parent, parent pressure, not so much self-inflicted, very much so. Okay. <laughs> and so always straddling the line between being very, very, like I said, nerdy and academic with also being a little bit, quite a bit weird and, and more on the creative side. And so graduated high school. And while everyone else in the top 10 of my class was going to pretty prestigious universities, when my, my bio ever said arts college, everyone was like, you're what? <laughs> Your parents are, they're cool with that. And I was like, sounds good to me. And then until I got there. And then when I was at arts college studying photography, I distinctly remember my first drawing class where the instructor went around the room and she told everyone, great job, great job, great job. And then she got to me and she said, oh, you're a photo student, aren't you? I said, sure am. <laughs> so not that it was necessarily that moment in particular, but it did highlight, hey, I really love photography. I really love being out and doing more of the photojournalistic adventures that I was having rather than really focusing on fine arts. And so during that freshman year, I was like, you know what? I don't know if this, this is quite it. And then I ended up transferring to a primarily business university, which definitely also was not it. And I fought tooth and nail. I was like, what? You want me to study finance or finance? You want me to study accounting? Like what the hell? Absolutely. I'm good. I'm so good. Right. <laughs> but by that point, my folks were like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing this again. There's no transferring. You're in it to win it. And so the first chance I got, I said, gotta go. And I decided to study abroad in Chile, which, <laughs> which until this moment, my parents may or may not think that that was a graduation requirement, <laughs> but <laughs> went abroad, uh, knew Ola was really the extent of my Spanish, but was fortunate enough to meet another kid in my study abroad program who also didn't know Spanish, Spanish. So it was great for friendship, not so great for cultural immersion or language acquisition, but he fancied himself a hip hop artist. I still had my huge camera around my neck at all times. And between the two of us, our combined knowledge of Ola and his mild resemblance to Neo and probably a bit to do with the big fancy looking camera, we booked him shows all throughout Chile. And when we came back to the US, 
<laughs> he was like, I mean, dude, we're like, we're kind of fake rock stars. So why not keep it moving? Why not keep going? I was like that. Yeah, I'm organized. We can, we can do this. He's like, yeah, you can be my manager. We'll figure it out. I said, yep. Okay. And so I became his quote unquote manager very quickly realized that I was living in Rhode Island at the time and I'm, I'm from there and knew that there was a ton of very creative and very talented musicians in, in the area. And so that sent me down this path of, okay, well, if we have really talented musicians and we're in this, this state that has incredible food, why not we match make between the two? And so that gentleman, Phil and I started a company that started matchmaking between local businesses like bars and coffee shops and restaurants and local musicians. And over time, realized again, I uh, had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and didn't necessarily set out to start a business, but from there started networking and getting my foot in the door in various spaces in the broader music industry. So going to New York and going to Los Angeles and realizing, oh, there's a way bigger world out there than just our music scene here in Rhode Island. And so over time, uh, pivoted the business model and then what ended up becoming Level Exchange, which was my first company, what ended up being a co-working in a production space for musicians. Okay. I, a fascinating story. And I, there are so many elements in there where I think you and I are of kindred spirit. Uh, I, I will acknowledge <laughs> being a nerd. Um, I will acknowledge as well, you know, that I understand what you're talking about when you, you're doing something and the person that evaluates it, evaluates it and be like, oh, that's pretty good for a, like, you know, a person who's not actually good at this, right? Yes. Which, yeah. Very, very cool. Without a doubt. All right. So then you... I, okay, one of the other things I'll just mention, and that is I my first major when I was in college was business, and okay. I went into accounting. And listen, I'm good at math, okay? Sure. So accounting shouldn't be that difficult. The conceptual understanding that for <laughs> everything, everything has to be double entered. Of course. And so when it comes in as income, then it has to be marked off as uh, from accounts receivable. And, then I, I, and at the end of the day, everything has to equal zero. And I'm like, <laughs> then I don't understand what the point of the whole thing is because you don't, you always end up with nothing, but that I digress <laughs> on that. Okay. Um, so what do you like, where do you find the marriage between art and business? Because you've sure. got some experience in art school, you've got some experience in business school, and then you take and you meld the art of music and business together what like how does that connection work for you totally I think for me what I knew more intuitively and didn't necessarily know how to put in into words until after being in the mess for a while but for me art is a business and business is an art so being able to look at the at both really is I think what gave us more of that competitive edge and so when I was studying in school, I actually, I studied anthropology and global studies and cultural interaction and was fortunate enough to have uh, a head of the department that let me do self-directed studies that were ethnography of the music industry and anthropological research of the music industry and all of these other things that were basically, hey, you can run your business while you're an undergrad. <laughs> and so shout out because without, without that professor, I definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it this far. And so but all of that to say, I think the biggest, biggest part of it that I was noticing was that, especially at my university, we had the 
College of Arts and Science, and then we had the College of Business. And the College of Business was, you know, 100, 150 plus years old. And the College of Business was maybe a dozen year old, years old at the time. And so what I thought was interesting when I signed up to go there was that they had all of these arts and science kids that had to, quote unquote, major in or minor in business. And all of the business students had to pick a minor from the College of Arts and Science, which I thought was great. But what you ended up with was a bunch of a bunch of people, you know, half-assing a drawing class and calling it a day. And that definitely wasn't the intent. But the idea for me was that art is a business, like I said, and business is an art. And the most successful businesses, in my opinion, are the ones that have CEOs and founders that really look at it as as an art and are very tactful in the way that they approach things and, and have a lot of strategy and a lot of intent behind it. When I was in college, or actually when I was in high school, I used to sure. complain to my dad, dad, why do I have to take all these classes that don't relate to my major and don't relate to what I want to do? Like, sure. um, and my dad explained, cause he's a smart guy that sure. you have to look, you have to study a number of different disciplines because every discipline has a different way of looking at a situation and exactly. a different way of solving the problem. For okay. Sure. And so having kids with a business major do something in arts and sciences gives them a different way to look at things and a different way to solve problems. Exactly. And the more, the more ways that you have to solve problems, the better equipped you are for life. What's your reaction mm. to that? I agree wholeheartedly. Your dad's a smart guy, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause, and I guess in, in what you have shared with me beforehand, your focus is not necessarily on problems, but on solutions. Can you talk, mm. can you talk a little bit about, about just that idea of sure. being able to solve things from a number of different perspectives, but also where you put your focus when you're coming up against problems? Definitely. I think that's another reason, again, this is all in hindsight after a lot of, a lot of reflection, but I think that that's why I loved photography so much. It wasn't necessarily the art of photography, which I do love. I loved being in the dark room and experimenting and, and learning more from a technical perspective, what photography is, but also what photography taught me was you can look at one thing from a million and one different perspectives. And so whether you're photographing a person or an object or whatever it is, it just literally teaches you to take things and shoot things from different angles. And so then taking that perspective into a problem solving lens is really how I've been able to tackle any and all problems that have come, come my way. And my dad also is a pretty smart guy like, like yours. And he, I think always taught me since I was a little kid that there's only solutions, <laughs> no problems. Wow, okay. Um, so really interesting side note, and that is I've got another podcast. It's called Perspectives on Healthcare, and Ooh, it's okay. it's about quality healthcare and how to mm. improve it. And the goal of that was literally to have as many different roles on there as possible. So sure. patients, physicians, physical therapists, acupuncturists, and so on. And um, what you find is that everybody looks at the they're all looking at the same thing totally. from different vantage points. And because mm -hmm. they have different vantage points, they're seeing something different when they look at it, which sounds to me exactly like what you're talking about with photography. Is it, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's, there's, I mean, to your point specifically in healthcare, I think, and I think this can be a micro or macro view to it, but from a macro perspective, I think the approach has been, okay, we need to put 
X, Y, and Z in X, Y, and Z boxes. So if it's in healthcare, there is a podiatrist, there's an orthodontist, there is a, you know, there's a neuroscientist, whatever it is. But the reality is whether it's a human being or it's a problem or it's a situation, everything is connected. And so if you can dial it back to whatever the smallest executable step is and tackle it there, that could be in business, can be in healthcare, can be in your personal life habits, whatever it is that I would argue is, I think the right approach. Sure. What? Okay. (laughs) And that is, I've heard that sometimes that life is like a a plate of spaghetti and that is you can't move one noodle without (laughs) affecting the whole plate or it's the same thing like with the game of pickup sticks, right? Whatever it is that you move, it's going to have an impact on the whole. And that, that to me sounds like what we're talking about here, that understanding that everything that is going on with the business, the the music, the relationships sure. between the staff, the staff, everything, it's all totally. interconnected and none of it is, it exists in a world completely unto itself. Exactly. So cool. All right. So kind of what, what gave you the strength or the, the fortitude to kind of <laughs> say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not willing to put myself into a box. I, I'm, I'm a creative thinker and listen, creative thinkers. I'm sure that your parents did this to you. Like you're going to art school. Are you going to make enough money with a a degree in art to be able to pay for (laughs) the the cost of getting a degree in art? Uh, Correct. But what gave you the, the understanding to say, you know what? I can take everything that I've got and I can make something out of it in in spite of the fact that I keep hearing from other people, like this probably won't work or this might not be a good idea. Yes. I heard, I heard a lot of that. I still hear a lot of that, believe it or not. (laughs) I think, I think part of it, it was being naive a hundred percent. And sometimes, sometimes, and I've had this conversation with, with friends lately as we're, so we're getting a little bit older here. And sometimes we've wished for some of that naivete to come back because when you don't know what you don't know, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to put yourself out there to make those mistakes and then to learn and to grow. Now, there's a little bit of that occasionally. I do my best to be aware of it, but occasionally there's a little bit of that jaded edge of, you know, I did I did attempt that before. It didn't work. I'm not going to do it again. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, well, let's, let's give it a shot again. Right. So I think, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And I think the other, other part of it is really, really having a deep disdain of being told what to do. Okay. I told you that we were birds of a feather. Cause uh, <laughs> if there is, if there is one way to motivate me to do something, it's to tell me not to, um, or yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm, it sounds to me though, like what you're doing were you representing just one genre of music or were you representing a, a wide variety of musical groups as you're making the connections between the the restaurants, uh, the food venues and the sure. artists? Sure. We were all over the map at the time, whether it was the establishments that we were at, you know, they could be a local bar, total dive bar. That could be a coffee shop. It could be a very, very sophisticated and elegant upscale dining experience. And we had musicians that we were able to matchmake for all of them. And then when we got into the production side of things, rather than matchmaking between bars and coffee shops and restaurants, we were then matchmaking with photographers and videographers and engineers and really 
playing that role of executive producer. And so then we were able to take all of the content that we were producing and assist not only the artist in pushing out and promoting that content, but also working with city and state. In a place like Rhode Island, that's so small, the entire state only has 1.1 million people. And so we were working on an even, even smaller scale, working in Providence, working in Pawtucket, and having a lot of people follow that stereotype of, ugh, it's musicians, they're poor, they're starving, they're artists. And that was a lot of what I heard when I was at art school. And so I was sensitive to that. But knowing how, how just incredible these musicians were, and really, you know, I took guitar lessons as a little kid and can barely play guitar. And so I was like, man, these, (laughs) these folks have really practiced, they put put their hours in. And so we were also able to then take those audio and video productions that we put together and give those to city and state officials so that we could look really at music as this vehicle for economic development. And so I was straddling this line of being in the music industry. That's all about, you know, rock and roll and just all this wild and craziness (laughs) that people are stereotyped with the music industry, all while for me having the social mission of how do we uplift these musicians, these artists, how do we uplift city and state at a different level through economic development? Okay. So talk to me about that kind of social entrepreneurship where there is a greater good at the heart of what you're doing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of social impact, social entrepreneurship, I having come from an arts college and then ending up at a business university where most folks really were focused on, they wanted to get their jobs at big four accounting firms and they wanted to work on wall street and they wanted to work at these, these other environments that I, from a young age was kind of like, I'm, I'm good on that front. If it means being inside all day, I'm good. So count me out. And so I wasn't really introduced to the idea of social entrepreneurship until my senior year of college. There was a professor who I never actually had who gave me tickets to a to a conference that was put on by Social Enterprise Greenhouse. And that was the first time that I heard the idea of do well, do well, do good, do well financially, but also do good for your community. And I kind of stopped and was like, hold on. <laughs> Everyone's been telling me that you just need to cut throat and <laughs> make money and have a corner office, you can actually want to do good for a community. And it was a mind blowing moment. And really, between that senior year, for a good four or five years post, I spent a majority of my time at that place, Social Enterprise Greenhouse. Okay, so it's interesting. I had, I'm going to say a couple years ago now, I had a gentleman on named Kuda Biza. And okay. he's originally from Africa and he talked literally about social entrepreneurship. And uh, he was, when he came over to the United States, he was looking at what were the biggest issues that faced his home country. And mm. um, one of them was literacy. And the other one might've been like food or whatever it was. He sure. started a business here that um, the proceeds from the business are all about creating scholarships for kids to be able to awesome. be more educated in his home country, which I, I and it, it's that idea of you don't have to be you don't have to be poor um, to have a business that benefits the the world sure. around you. Um, Without a doubt. Yeah. So okay, when you're when you're talking about, it, I guess this is a crazy question, but what is like the craziest group that you've ever? Had it where you get a musician that comes up to you and they're like, yeah, we play like, or we do acapella, you know, 
Irish music with a Jamaican twist. And you're like, I have no idea what you're going to do. Like, <laughs> do you ever have anything like that? Yeah, I, man, we've, we've worked with a lot of really incredible bands over the years when I had Level Exchange. And then since then, I've, I've worked in business development and consulting. So I've been able to still keep my foot in the door with a lot of musicians and I've tour managed on and off for the last decade. I would say the most fun and the most exciting and hands down one of the best performers that I've ever worked with is a guy by the name of George Watsky. And he started out as a spoken word poet turned and created his, his whole existence into being a hip hop artist and him and the people that are in his band are not only some of the most amazing technical musicians but their performance abilities are are unmatched and i have tour managed for them a lot in the past and and we did warp tour a, a couple of times and <laughs> being on that tour being a more hip-hop skewing act on a primarily punk rock tour is definitely one of the <laughs> wildest experiences that i sure. okay so can you talk about uh, like it sounds like you have a diversity of talent okay and is that, does that mean that you have more options or does it mean that you have more stress because there are, <laughs> there's just so many different people out there on the, that you're looking for placements for? So I think now, since I've quote unquote left the music industry and no longer have a studio and I don't have this physical space and, or anything like that. And I've gotten more into consulting and freelancing and, and working on my own projects. On one hand, it makes me feel 10 times more confident and excited about work. And then on the other hand, it's also 10 times more difficult to find work because when you look, especially the, the times that I've thought about getting a quote unquote traditional job, people look at my you know, this quote unquote resume. And they're like, I don't I'm like, what do you do? Why are you here? I don't get it. And so I think to your point at the beginning is really looking at things with a different lens and with a different perspective. And I don't know if it's makes people uncomfortable because they can't see things in so many different lenses or what, but that's how my brain works. And that's what I've pushed hard on increasing that skill. So to answer your question, I think it's a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more, more difficult because I am interested in so many things and honing in on one single thing is definitely, is definitely tough. Okay. Um, I've heard you say this a couple times and you talk about like the reactions that you get from, from people or what people have said or what you have heard. And I'm going to be upfront about this. Okay. Listen, I'm a person with a disability. And so when people look at me, they, they think I'm stupid. They think I'm hard of hearing. They think all mm. kinds of different, you know, they make all kinds of assumptions about me sure. when it comes just based on the fact that I get around in a wheelchair. So mm. um, can you, can you talk a little bit about like, how does that feel? What have you learned? Uh, like what, what's the impact of other people's thoughts and the things that other people say to you? Totally. And I think to your point, I spent after level exchange, I spent a couple of years working on and developing a mobile app called Vanter. And the goal was to 
create an, a mobile app that made it easy and safe for diverse communities to travel. Whether you're black, brown, queer, you are in a wheelchair, another type of disability, that was really the goal, was how can you attach a rating and review system to a person and how they identify. So if, if you check off, you know, I'm this age and this ethnicity and I'm in a wheelchair and you go and you write a review on a restaurant, maybe one person says, this restaurant's amazing. And you say, now that restaurant isn't great because it's not accessible. And so then every time that somebody goes on the app and they're, they match the same self-identification as you do, they can say, oh, you know, the food is good, but I know that I can't get there. Mm -hmm. And so after spending a couple of years in that space, and then in my personal life, I'm queer, my partner's Afro-Latina, I have a black daughter. We can't go anywhere <laughs> without having some sort of reaction. And so whether it's in the professional realm of not being able to be put in a box or in the personal realm, it's at this point, I do my best to let it roll off. But obviously, you know, at some points, it's some days it's easier than others. Yeah, I guess here's what I've had to learn. Stigma and bias exist, mm. but they exist in other people. And so just because somebody makes assumptions about me, just because someone thinks less of me, it doesn't change who I am. It, they cannot impact my value. It mm. actually is a reflection on them and their own thought process. And it, mm. it, it reflects poorly on them instead of reflecting right. poorly on me. I, I've, in 30 seconds, what's your reaction to that? <laughs> I don't need 30 seconds. I know that you're right. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. All right. Listen, uh, Lindsay, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to connect with you, what's the easiest and best way to do that? Sure. The, I think the easiest way is to go to my website and that's just lindsaylearner.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com. They can find everything. Beautiful. So I will put uh, a link to that in the show notes and people can connect with you there, um, which I would encourage. Uh, it's time for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for this, my friend? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite family vacation? Ooh, I was fortunate enough in 2008 to go on a family trip to Israel. That's cool. I, what was the, what was the best part? What, what was the highlight? That was my first real time going out of the country. And that I think is responsible for <laughs> the travel bug that has bitten me ever since. Okay. Um, that works. What is the last movie that you have either went to or watched or, um, uh, that is a great question that I don't know. I have an answer to I, all of my friends uh, and my partner make fun of me for this constantly. I am uh, not a movie person, but I do have, I do have a movie ticket stub in front of me. Cause it was the first time that my daughter went to a movie theater and according to the ticket, it was seeing Sing 2. There you go. Um, so uh, if Lindsay Lerner is giving the Sing 2 um, Siskel and Ebert review, uh, is, it, is it getting one thumb up, two thumbs up, one down, one up, one down? What, what, are you, what would I'll, be the... Uh, I'll give it two thumbs up. It was good. The music was great. Okay. That works. All right. Last question for you. You brought up the food scene in Rhode Island, which mm. is a a concept that I had never even considered. So when you are in Rhode Island, what is the Lindsay Lerner restaurant recommendation of choice? 
Ooh, this is a, this is a, oh, this is such a good question. I'm going to give you three. I'll do it, make it quick because okay. I know we're at time. Uh, I have a mild coffee obsession, which you will see if you go to my website, there's a map of my favorite coffee places across the globe, uh, two of which are in Rhode Island, one of which is called The Shop, literally The Shop. Go there, get a coffee, get your avocado toast, live your best life. Second would be Borealis Coffee, also food, coffee, incredible. And third would be Tallulah's Taqueria. Okay. Incredible. All right. So just... A follow-up question on that. Is there any food that is like a particular Rhode Island food? Because mm. right, I'll tell you, I, I live in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, we have a chicken salad. Okay? Okay. And it is a bed of lettuce. And it has <laughs> grilled chicken on it. But it also has French fries and cheese. And um, just about okay. any other. Yes. And so um, in Pittsburgh, that's what's called a salad. Um, and, and if you ever come... You got to try it. Okay. So, um, but is there, is there a a Rhode Island equivalent or is. Mm. I would say Rhode Island is known for a drink called coffee milk. I don't know if you've had coffee milk before. It's uh, similar to chocolate milk. It's made rather than chocolate syrup. It's made with coffee syrup. And so that is the, the Rhode Island drink. And then in terms of food, I think they're most well-known for seafood. It is the ocean state. And so you can't go wrong. I'm a vegetarian, so I haven't partaken in in a while, but it's incredible. (laughs) No worries. All right. Lindsay Lerner, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you sharing. You are a smart person. To all my listeners, I will remind you that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody. 